0: Uh, But as we get into the giftings of the Holy Spirit, I want to back up and just hit very briefly where we've been. You can see it right here on the screen. But we've been talking about who is the Holy Spirit, his personality, his deity, um, that he is the third person of the triunity of the Godhead. So we spent, you know, a whole week on that, and then we did the role and the work of the Holy Spirit in the world and in the church, and we looked at that passage in John's gospel where he says the Holy Spirit will convict concerning uh, sin and righteousness and judgment and how important that um, is for us, and his role in ministry in the world uh, takes a burden off of us. It's his job to do the convicting and to reveal sin to people. And so uh, our job is to cooperate with Him and to allow Him to fill us and to move in us and through us so that we can be His vessel in the world. Then we looked at the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the filling of the Holy Spirit, and uh, we looked at the book of Acts and how that happened and then how people after the Spirit came upon them, not just the first century apostles, but how He does that even today, and hopefully we... uh, convince you of that, that the Holy Spirit still works today in the same way he worked in the New Testament there, Um, and that he comes upon us and he empowers us for service. There's the indwelling of the Spirit coming into the life of the believer, and then there's the filling or the coming upon the baptism of the Spirit to empower us for service to be his witnesses and to share his love with those around us and, and to share his love with the world, to be something we're not, which is loving people. Now there's a few of us who may be naturally loving, but most of us, I don't know about you, I need a little extra help. Uh, I need the Spirit of God to fill me and to make me a loving person and to make me a vessel of his love. You know it's interesting um, if you go back and you read ancient writings, uh, you read some of the writings of the early monks and some of those people who spent time in quiet and solitude, uh, you see that that this is what they got from the lord the fact that god wants to use our lives as a vessel for his love and it wasn't just this mystique or mysteriousness as they read his word as they spent time in his presence that's what they got from him and as we looked at when we talked about the evidence of the baptism with the holy spirit the fruit of love we looked at the fruit of the spirit And uh, we're going to come, as we go through the gifts of the Spirit here, we're going to come to chapter 13 in 1 Corinthians and look a little bit at love described and uh, depicted in a slightly different way than what we saw in Galatians 5. Galatians 5 lists for us the fruit of the Spirit and how the the love of God is manifested in our lives. But 1 Corinthians 13, which everyone typically uses in weddings, when it's a great wedding passage, is there to help you and me understand as it's sandwiched between 1 Corinthians 12 and 14, which are talking specifically about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, that love is the primary mode of operation for the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. And we'll hit upon some of that this morning. So as we get into the giftings of the Holy Spirit, I want to pray. I want to share something with you from this thing I have in my hand. And then we're going to read 1 Corinthians chapter 12 together. Lord, as we take some time this morning to look at your word and to ask you to speak to us, Lord, would you minister to us in a very real and a tangible way today? Would you go beyond the ability of a person to teach? And would you speak to us, God? In Jesus' name, amen. So I hope that you've been thinking of questions to write down and to share with us, Um, Because in a few weeks we're going to have a time where we have the the four pastors up here and we're going to have a little panel discussion and we're going to talk about everything we've covered during the series of the teaching on the Holy Spirit. Um, So if you have questions, begin writing those down. You can send them to us. Um, You can uh, put them in the box or, you know, just be ready to stand up and and give us your question that day. So that's going to be really important. So I put up here on the front of the stage these little orange booklets and you probably can't read it from there but it says finding your spiritual gifts this is a great survey it's uh, sort of like a test so if you've ever taken a test and you open it it's got questions and then it has like an answer key here in the middle it's one of those color in the circle kinds of things and let me tell you something about this when, if you've never taken tests or you feel like well, I'm not good at that here's what you do you pray and as you start to take the, read the questions and answer them, uh, don't spend a lot of time overthinking it, okay, just answer it. As you read it, just answer it and give it your response, <clears throat> because what will happen is you'll get an, un, an, an inaccurate result if you spend a lot of time trying to analyze it. So for example, a question that might say, might say something like, you know, people, call, people typically tell me this. And if you read it and you think, nobody's ever said that to me, then, don't, then the answer's no, right? Uh, don't, don't sit there and think, I wish people would say that to me. Uh, just answer it. Uh, I'll give you um, a couple of questions here. Um, uh, I have an insatiable appetite for the presence of God. And it gives you an answer key here, and it ex- explains to you how to, how to take the test. So it's right in the middle. So this is like 150 questions or something like that, 135. So this is not gonna be a 10-minute thing. You're gonna, need, you're gonna need to sit down and take a solid hour or more with this when you do it. So don't just sit down and, when you have 10 minutes. Uh, sit down and work through it. The, the other thing is I've bought enough here. There should be enough for everybody in here. But if we start to get low on it, just make copies of the thing in the middle. It's just the answer key. And then uh, you can share the booklet with multiple people. And then the other thing up here is just a copy of a thing we have out on the uh, lobby as well, which is just sort of a one-page listing of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So feel free to grab one of these, pray through it, and take it. You can do that now. You don't have to wait till the end of the teaching. And just allow the Lord to begin ministering to you. Because as we go through this, uh, over these next uh, today and the next two weeks, and if you can work through this perhaps sometime this week or even next week, You'll begin to get a sense of your own giftings, and I don't know about you, but uh, it took me many years as a believer to ever come to the place of even discovering what my gifts were, but when I did, I instinctively knew that it was right. I knew that that was the way the Lord had gifted me. So um, do that. I encourage you to do it and to learn about how the Holy Spirit has gifted you. So we've done all this to kind of lay groundwork and to, to lead us up to this morning looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 12. So I want you to turn there with me. And we are actually going to read the whole chapter because Paul lays out in here not just what some of the gifts are. He doesn't list a complete list here in, in chapter 12. But he gives us background on why the gifts of the Spirit are given to us. So 1 Corinthians chapter 12 So we're going to read this. Um, I, I have some of it up here. I don't have the whole thing. So I'm just going to read it from my Bible. And you can read along. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. You know that you were Gentiles carried away to these dumb idols. However, you were led. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed, And no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the spirit, to another, the word of knowledge, through the same spirit, to another, faith by the same spirit, to another, gifts of healings by the same spirit, to another, the working of miracles, to another, prophecy, to another, discerning of spirits, to another, different kinds of tongues, to another, the interpretation of tongues." But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free. And have all been made to drink into one spirit. For in fact the body is not one member but many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would would be the hearing? And if the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? But now, indeed, there are many members, yet one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. No, much rather, those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary, And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor, and our unpresentable parts have greater modesty, but our presentable parts have no need. But God composed the body, having given greater honor to that part which lacks it, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another." And if one member suffers, all of the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ and members individually. And God has appointed these in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, and after that miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, administrations, varieties of tongues, are all apostles Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Are all workers of miracles? Do all have gifts of healings? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the best gifts, and yet I show you a more excellent way. So hopefully as we have read that, just the simple reading of the scripture may have answered a lot of questions that you have or have had. And hopefully, this sort of lays out some of the straightforward principles that Paul has defined here by the inspiration of the Spirit about how the Spirit of God works. So, in chapter 12, verses 1 through 11, he sort of gives us an introduction and he mentions some of the gifts of the Holy Spirit here. In fact, I think there are nine specifically that are listed up to verse 11. But then in that middle section there, which I want to focus on for a moment, uh, you see sort of the unity and the diversity of the body. And as we read through that, there's a few things that just jump out at us and sort of uh, make themselves known to us. That the Spirit of God is one spirit. That might seem uh, like, yeah, I know that. But he's reminding us of that so that we understand that when the Spirit of God moves and it's truly a movement of God's Holy Spirit, and that's why we've spent time, you know, as we shared earlier about all the things that we've been doing to lay a foundation, that the Spirit of God testifies of Jesus. The Spirit of God brings glory to God. The Spirit of God encourages love. And so when we see things where people are saying they have a movement of God's Spirit in their lives, but it's not doing those things, then we have to reject that. Because the Spirit is the Spirit of unity. The Spirit is pointing us to Jesus Christ. The Spirit is sort of like the glue, if you will, that holds the Godhead together. I mean, the Spirit... always does what Jesus says and wants. And Jesus said he always did what the Father told him to do. And Jesus said, I point to the Father. And then Jesus turned around and said, the Spirit points to me. And so as Paul gives us this middle section here, uh, there's one Spirit. We were all baptized into one body. Um, The the body is not one member, but many. So the body is made up of many people. Uh, We're all individual members of the body. And then he goes through, and he lays out. In some respects, it seems like maybe an absurd argument, but it's necessary. You know, if the foot should say, "Because I am not a hand, I am not of the body," is is it therefore not of the body? In other words, you can't say to your hand, "I don't like you because you're my left hand and I'm right-handed, so I'm going to cut you off and cast you away." Or my uh, ring toe on my left foot, you're ugly, you have fungus. And I don't want anybody to ever see you again. And so we cover it up. And he says, No, all parts of the body are necessary. Everything, even the unseemly parts, as he said toward the end, they're, they're all necessary. They're all part of the body. And what he's saying here is that we as people, as the body of Christ, do not have the right to look at another member of the body of Christ and say, You're unnecessary, you're ugly. Your gift is not very significant. In fact, your gift, your gift is, is really insignificant. All you do is X, Y, or Z, whatever we, we sort of discount that gift as, and we just kind of kick it to the side and say, That gift's unimportant. And Paul says, No, 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 no. Every gift, every member is important. Every member of the body is significant. Why? Verse 18, but now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased. And you see, if we uh, ostracize a member of the body because of who they are or how they look or the, the gifting that they do or don't have, if we somehow draw attention to them because they have a gift that we think is desirable, or we look at someone who has maybe a lower level of gift that we might categorize in our mind, uh, God says, no, no, no. I set the people in the body the way that I want them. So we don't have the right to set up a hierarchy of gifts. In fact, as we go through these gifts, here at the end, he sort of laid out a hierarchy because keeping in context here what he's dealing with with the Corinthian church, the Corinthian church had the full-blown ministry of the Holy Spirit. But one of the many problems Paul had to address with them was they took the gifts of the Spirit and they basically convoluted them. And they took them and they made them what they wanted them to be. And they misused and abused the gifts. They, they improperly defined the gifts. And they set up these hierarchies within the body. And they said, you're more sig- significant than the next person. And thus Paul here is addressing all of this right here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. So this is instructive, it's informative, and it's foundational for how the Spirit of God works with respect to the distribution of the gifts And the operation of the gifts. So let's see here. There was one more. Verse 25. That there should be no schism in the body. But that the members should have the same care for one another. So there should not be divisions in the body of Christ over this issue around the ministry and the giftings of the Holy Spirit. In fact, he says the next verse, if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. For if if one member is honored, all members rejoice with it. So there should be a unity in the body of Christ, just like there should be within a family. Now, you are the body of Christ and members individually. And then he lists there how God has set up his own hierarchy. And he he gives it sort of counterintuitive to what uh, the, the Corinthian church had defined it and many people today uh, in the extremities of our, our brothers and sisters in Pentecostalism and Charismata as you read in verse 29 and 30. Uh, when you see these kind of questions asked like this in scripture, they're often rhetorical with the intended answer either being no or yes depending on the context. So are all apostles... Well, the answer would be obviously no, right? Everybody in here are an apostle? No? Okay. Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Are all workers of miracles? Do all have gifts of healings? Do all speak with tongues? That's important because there are segments of the church that say you have not been baptized in the Holy Spirit unless you have the gift of tongues. There's whole denominations built around that. And it says right here, do all speak with tongues? The obvious answer is no. And Paul's going to say it again in 1 Corinthians 14. Do all interpret. So the interesting thing here is we kind of use this to set a framework before we go forward and talk a little bit about some of these gifts is that God has laid out his own framework for this. He's defined for us how the gifts are to be understood and viewed before we get into the individual gifts and the distinctives around the manifestations of those gifts and the definitions of those gifts. But now as we move into that, let's come back to the first part of chapter 12. And notice what he says here, verse 4. There are diversities of gifts, but the same spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it's the same God who works all in all. So what do those three things tell us? They tell us we can't put God in a box. We can't say that the way the gifts of the Spirit operate or the way that God moves within his Spirit can necessarily be put into a specific Form, And we'll talk about that in a moment. So there are diversities of gifts. So there's many different kinds of gifts to do different things within the body of Christ. There are differences of ministries. So in other words, um, you know, something we need to keep in our mind is when we talk about these gifts and we define them. So I'll just take uh, the gift of being a pastor teacher. You can have the gift of pastor teacher and do this and stand in the pulpit on Sunday morning. Or you can have the gift of teaching and stand in the back over there and teach a children's class. Or you can teach a women's or a men's Bible study. Or you can have other venues where your teaching gifts such as a small group or one-on-one discipleship is used of the Lord. You see, that's the same gift employed in different ways. And the way the gift manifests itself in your life and through your personality can be different. And so we shouldn't have the mentality that any particular gift of the Holy Spirit is only going to look this one way, whatever that one way is you may think of. In other words, that gift can have many expressions. Just as we have different personalities, there are different ways for that gift operating in a, in a given person's life to express itself differently. And notice here that these, so far as we go through this and as we go through Uh, chapter 12 and into chapter 14 and then we get into Romans chapter 12 these are the main places where the gifts are talked about gender is never mentioned so in other words it doesn't say here in this list of gifts that uh, the you know women and men you know can only have certain gifts or can't have certain gifts in other words these gifts are for the body of Christ But the manifestation, verse 7, of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. And there's sort of a defining thing for us. Now, we've talked about the Holy Spirit coming upon us, and that he uh, helps us to be witnesses for Jesus Christ, and he helps us to point back to Jesus Christ, and then he displays his love, he pours out his love in our lives. And now, as we understand, as we get into this further, the gifting of the Spirit is for the benefit for the profit of all. Paul will say this slightly differently in chapter 14. He'll say this is for the, the benefit, the edification, edification, exhortation, and comfort of all those in the body. So the gifts of the Spirit, as we see listed here in the Scriptures, according to Paul in 1 Corinthians 12 and 14, is for the body of Christ. It's to build up the body, to encourage the body, to serve the body, to minister to the body. But keep in mind what else has been said. It's to communicate love. It's to point back to Jesus. It's to bring glory to God. And so there's our framework for the manifestation of the Spirit. So when someone says, you know, the Spirit's being manifest in their life or in a particular church or in a certain location, when we look at that, all of that criteria must be met. Because that's how the Lord operates. For now, he says to us, for to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another, the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another, faith by the same Spirit, and to another, gifts of healings by the same Spirit, to another, the working of miracles, to another, prophecy, to another, discerning of spirits, to another, different kinds of tongues, and to another, the interpretation of tongues. So let's take a look at some of these here for just a moment. And let me kind of jump ahead here. So it says here in verse 8, for to one is given the word of wisdom. So let's talk about some of these. We're not going to go through all of those today. We're just going to hit as many as we can in, in the time we have before us here. The word of wisdom. Um, you might see this defined slightly differently. I just tried to Condense this down, and and the book that I talked to you about, this uh, test, that has some definitions in the back that are a bit more expanded. So they're uh, sort of the paragraph I'm giving you, sort of a summary here. The word of wisdom means to have wisdom supernaturally revealed as and when needed by the Spirit. So we know that from the Old Testament, the fear of the Lord's beginning the beginning of wisdom. So certainly having a relationship with God and having that holy awe and reverence and respect for God is a component here. Uh, Proverbs 2, for the Lord gives wisdom. That's what this is saying here. The Lord gives wisdom and from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. Happy is the man who finds wisdom and the man who gains understanding. Uh, For her proceeds are better than the profits of silver and her gain than fine gold. And then we find... um, in Second Chronicles chapter 1, verse 10, we find where Solomon, you know, God had said to him, you know, Solomon, I'll give you anything you want at the beginning of his uh, reign and his ministry. And his prayer was, now, Lord, give me wisdom and knowledge that I may go out and come in before this people, for who can judge this great people of yours? So a word of wisdom is something that the Lord gives to a person in a given moment, as necessary. So we're going to come back to that in just a moment. The word of knowledge, to have knowledge supernaturally revealed as and when needed. So wisdom and knowledge kind of go together. And the Lord he gives these gifts. Uh, you know, sometimes He gives them just, you know, on the spot, and uh, sometimes He might give it to a person as a gift. But I think one of the things we have to sort of calibrate ourselves with as we go through these gifts is that there are some gifts, uh, some obvious gifts, like teaching, and and, and as we go through these, we'll identify them, that it seems like the Lord gives a person that gift. But there are other gifts that it would seem that the Lord just kind of, you know, in the moment, he's like, you need wisdom, you need a word of knowledge, and I'm gonna give it to you. And it's not like a person has been given that specifically, certainly some of us have, but the Lord, because he's the sovereign Lord and the sovereign spirit, can choose who and when and where to manifest those gifts in the life of a person as needed. And we'll look at some scriptural examples of that as we go. So a word of wisdom, word of knowledge. These are things that come from God and that God provides wisdom and knowledge as we need it. Now, keep in mind knowledge, you know, can loosely be defined as facts or, you know, knowing something about someone or a situation. Certainly knowledge can be things like we learn in school or in books. But wisdom biblically is defined as the divine ability to know how to apply the knowledge. Now, maybe you've run into this in your life where you've seen someone who's incredibly smart Maybe several degrees, just a highly educated person, but they can't change a tire, right? Ever ever met someone like that who just has a great deal of knowledge and they can teach in a university and they can expand the mysteries of the universe for you, but they can't do something practical? Wisdom is practical. Wisdom is the ability to take knowledge and apply it appropriately in the moment, And so now we're talking, of course, in the context of the spirit and spiritual wisdom and spiritual knowledge. So as we look at this, uh, I just pulled a few examples because there are so many we could look at. But if we look at the word of wisdom, think about King Solomon. If you can think back to his day when he had just become king and after he had prayed that prayer that I just shared with you you know, God, give me knowledge, give me wisdom so that I may rule your people. One of the very first cases he was presented with as a judge was these two ladies who came in and they shared with him that um, one of the ladies had apparently rolled over on her child during the night and smothered her child and the poor child had passed away. And they were now at uh, odds with each other, uh, both claiming that the child belonged to them. And uh, Solomon looked at the situation and said, how do I know? How could I possibly know whose child this is? It's just a little baby. It's a newborn. And so God gave him divine wisdom to be able to discern um, whose baby it was. And finally, he just said, well, uh, bring me a sword. I'm just going to cut the child in half and give half the child to one mother and half to the other. And uh, as you think about that, you think, boy, that, that doesn't sound very good, Solomon. I don't know about that. But immediately what happened is it evoked a response in the two women. One woman said, fine, go ahead. And the other one said, no, 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 please spare the life of the child, give it to her. And he said, the one who said spare the life of the child, that's the one who is the true mother, for she values the life of the child. The other one didn't. She's just angry because her child suffered in this tragic accident and died. An example of the word of wisdom In Acts chapter 6, the Hellenistic Jews were being neglected in the daily serving. And so as you go there and you read Acts chapter 6, the apostle said, hey, it's not expedient for us to leave the ministry that God has given to us to go wait on tables. So therefore choose from among you seven men full of the Holy Spirit and of wisdom and let them figure out how to take care of this problem while we continue to focus on the ministry. And in that moment, not only did God give them wisdom, but then he said, find seven men who are full of wisdom and the Holy Spirit, obviously indicating that the presence of the Spirit of God, the filling of the Spirit of God would bring wisdom to their lives. And so, of course, they were able to do that. They appointed the seven men. And then the scripture says, as you read the story, that everyone was cool with it. In other words, everyone was like, you know, this is good. This solution is good. And this is one of the signs of the operation of the gift of wisdom, is it brings peace to people as the wisdom is spoken. And then certainly in Acts chapter 15, another great example, the legalistic Jews had come back and they said, you know, hey, the gospel is being preached and these Gentiles are being converted. But from the Judaistic point of view, People, when they get converted, they have to get circumcised, and they have, we need to give them a copy of the law, and they need to start memorizing. They need to become a good Jew. They need to become a proselyte. And so the apostles went to Jerusalem, and they had a confab in Jerusalem. And as they came out of that, they wrote this letter to the churches, and they said, you don't need to do all that stuff. Just keep yourself from, meat, from things sacrificed to idols. And uh, from things strangled with blood and those kinds of things. But, you know, honor God, basically, they said. They said, you don't have to get circumcised. You don't have to follow the law the way a Jew does. And as they brought this word and they wrote it down and they distributed it to the churches, again, it brought great peace and unity to the churches. So there's many places we could go. Those are just three to talk about the word of wisdom. And then the word of knowledge, to have that knowledge that's supernaturally revealed as and when needed. Uh, There's a great story of Elisha in the Old Testament, Elisha the prophet and the king Ben-Hadad, and uh, if you go back and read that story, and I'm sorry, I forgot to put the reference in there, where um, the Lord had been speaking to Elisha, and the king's plots were foiled every time God spoke to Elisha, and Elisha would send word to people and would just thwart the, the plans of the king. And the king uh, one day said, we must have a mole, we must have a spy somewhere in the palace. Because every time I say something, and it's only us here in this room, unless one of you is the spy, somehow this is getting out. And one of the guys said, no, there's this dude, Elisha. He's a prophet of the Lord. And whatever happens here in this room, God whispers to him. And he says, he even knows what you speak in your bedroom, O king. And he's like, what? (laughs) Can you imagine that? That's an example of the word of knowledge. John 4, Jesus with the woman at the well. Remember this story? John goes, I mean, uh, Jesus encounters this woman at the well. And as they begin to have this interchange, the disciples went off to go find bread. And Jesus is sitting there in the, the heat of the day. This is not the time when women come out. Only the dishonored women of the community would come at that point in the day. And this woman comes to the well, and Jesus and she begin to have this interaction. And as they're talking, Jesus says to her, well, why don't you go get your husband? And she said, well, I don't have a husband. He said, thank you for being honest, because you've had five husbands, and the man you're with right now is not your husband. That's a word of knowledge. Uh, The Holy Spirit revealed that, that to Jesus at that very moment. Ananias and Sapphira, Acts chapter 5, they had pretended to be like everybody else and to be giving in a very kind and a generous way as people were bringing their gifts to the apostles and laying them at their feet to to benefit the church. But they were hypocritical and they were lying and they were hiding things from the Lord. And as you read Acts chapter 5, you find twice, both for Ananias and Sapphira, Peter said to them before they dropped dead, why have you lied to the Holy Spirit? And as he said that, then they both dropped dead. And again, a word of knowledge was given to Peter in that moment. They were pretending to be something that they were not. And another great example is in Acts chapter 8. Um, Peter uh, had was ministering, uh, Peter and John. They'd been sent up to Samaria to see what was happening as the Holy Spirit had been moving. And as they were there, this man Simon the sorcerer, Apparently got saved, but as he was getting saved out of sorcery, uh, he began to speak and he said, "Well, uh, how you? The Lord's using you guys. You guys are healing, and God's doing great things through your hands. How can I buy that gift? Here's some money. How much does it cost to get the gift that you have?" And in that moment, Peter said, "Your money perish with you. Uh, this is not of the Lord. You can't buy the gift of God. God must give the gift to whomever He wishes." And as Peter's speaking, he says, I see that you are bound by iniquity and poisoned by bitterness. Repent, therefore, if God might be gracious to you. How could Peter know that the root issue in this man's life was bitterness, except that the Holy Spirit had revealed it? It was a word of knowledge given in that moment. Now, as we think about these things, a word of wisdom and a word of knowledge, Here's something we should understand if you've ever experienced these gifts from another person. These gifts, as they are given to the body of Christ, again, are given for the benefit of the body, for the edification of the body. So these gifts are never to be used to tear down someone. These gifts are not to be used to cause harm to another individual. They are never to be used to become a source or a form of gossip within the church. And so as we think about the gifts of the Spirit, remember love. Remember bringing glory to Jesus. Remember pointing others to Christ. Let those things guide you. So as we see these gifts exercised and shared in the body of Christ, that they are done so in a God-honoring way and in a way that encourages people. Ananias and Sapphira, you might say, well, what about them? Well, that was done for the purity and the edification of the church, so that God brought holiness to the church. In the case of Peter and Simon the sorcerer, it was so that Simon might understand that there was a root issue in his life that needed to be dealt with, and it was an issue of bitterness. And God needed to deal with that issue in his life. And so he brought that up and he made it apparent to him, not to tear him down, but to bring him to a place of repentance. So in verse 9, it says to another faith by the same spirit and to another gifts of healings by the same spirit. So faith is this God-given ability to believe God for something unique. Now, faith is necessary when we come to Christ. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for by grace you have been saved through faith. That, not of yourselves, we believe that that is uh, referring back to the word faith, that the faith comes from God, faith is a gift from God, even to believe him in the moment of salvation and to trust him and to believe in Jesus Christ. But the faith that it's talking about here is the ability to believe God for something either in the moment or forever or to trust God against circumstances. In other words, this is a supernatural gift of faith. Uh, again, many examples here I could think of. Um, one just popped into my head. Remember when um, in the Old Testament, Gideon, right? Uh, the Lord took them down. They had, had 32,000 men and the Lord kept reducing their army. And then he said, here's what I want you to do. Now they were obeying the Lord, but they had to have faith to believe that God would take 300 men and to defeat an entire army. That's a gift of faith. Peter walking out on the water to meet Jesus. Remember, there was the storm. The disciples were in the boat. They thought it was a ghost coming to them on the the water by night. Then they said, no, I think it's the Lord. And then Peter cried out and said, Lord, if it's you, bid me to come out onto the water. He said, come on out, Peter. So Peter in that moment exercised faith to step out on the water. How else could someone walk on the water were it not for faith? What about in Acts chapter 3 when Peter and John about the hour of prayer we're going up into the temple and there was the lame beggar who had been there for probably many years and as he's sitting there he's begging alms and he got their attention and Peter turned to him and said silver and gold have I none but what I do have I give you in the name of Jesus of Nazareth arise and walk and he reached out and he took that man by the hand now everybody knew this man had been lame since birth And I submit to you that in the moment that he stepped forward and extended his hand, that Peter had the gift of faith, and he lifted the man up. And God gave faith to believe him for something that was impossible in the moment. And certainly you can argue that faith and miracles and healings go together. Because in that moment, God gave him the faith to believe God for something that was uh, difficult, if not impossible, What about Jesus feeding the 5,000? All right, guys, go check your resources. No, Lord, just send them away. There's too many people. There's 5,000 besides women and children, probably 10,000 or more. What do you got? There's a kid here with a box lunch, a Lunchable with some little breadsticks and some cheese dip, God. And how are we gonna feed more than one kid with that? And he says, let's pray. And as they prayed, and then he said, go distribute it. As you read the language in these stories, it's amazing. The, the words and the verbs indicate that as they were passing it out, it was being multiplied. It was like taking a, 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 a basket of bread with six rolls in it and passing it down a row that has 12 people. And as you keep passing it and somebody takes one out, you think, well, you get halfway through. Of course, it's empty. But every time it, it came to a person, there's bread in the basket. And this just kept happening until all 5,000 were fed. And then they took up something like 12 baskets full of leftovers. In that moment, for the disciples to do what Jesus said and for Jesus to sit there and say, don't worry, God's got this under control, that's faith. You know, a more modern day example, if you've never read the story of George Mueller, uh, he was taking care of orphans by faith. He never raised money. He never did anything to you know, public, publicize his ministry. He didn't have a Facebook account. Didn't see how many hits he could get. He didn't plaster the town with posters. Every morning he got up and he went into his prayer closet and he prayed and he said, God, you've given me this ministry and these kids keep coming. How do I feed them? And as you read his biography, you see he would sit down they would have the table. Twenty kids would sit down. They would put the plates out and have nothing. And they would say, let's pray. And they would join hands and pray. And as they said amen, a knock would come at the door. And this is documented. This happened over and over and over. And what happened? The milk truck just happened to break down outside their house. Mr. Mueller, we can't get the milk to market. It's going to spoil. Or a bread truck breaks down. And these things happened over and over again and over the gift of faith and there's many examples of this we could go there's there's myriad examples of this in the scriptures gifts of healings notice the plurals gifts plural of healings plural the divine god-given ability to heal in a moment either given or received meaning you need healing and God brings it to you or God wants to use you as the instrument or the vessel to bring healing to someone else's life. It's interesting, one person here um, said on the gifts of healings, the power which at particular times the apostles received from the Holy Spirit to cure diseases, a power which was not always resonant in them for Paul could not cure Timothy nor remove his own thorn in the flesh because it was given only on extraordinary occasions uh, though perhaps more generally than many others, meaning the point here is this, that is, you know, there are people who think that God makes someone a healer. And I don't believe that's what the Scriptures indicate. I believe they indicate this is a gift God gives as needed to and through an individual at any given time. You know, for example, for me, God has given me an ability to teach. So I, basically, I can be anywhere at any time, And if God presents the opportunity, I can stand up and teach. It's just, it's a gift. But the gift of healing is slightly different. Like we said earlier at the beginning, sometimes God just gives these gifts as he sees fit according to the moment. If God made certain individual healers, then wouldn't it stand to reason that, you know, just like a doctor, you could go find these healers and get healed of your diseases. But you can see the sovereignty of God is still at work, isn't it? How many times do we read in the Gospels where it says Jesus healed many or he healed some, but that he didn't heal all? There's a few occasions where it said he healed all that were brought to him. And so there are people in the church today who would say with respect to the gift of healing, we need to go out and make this happen. We need to have schools that teach people how to be healers. And I would say to you, I don't think so. I think we just need to study the scriptures and ask God if he would be willing to to grant the gift. I think there's nothing wrong with praying and saying, God, would you give me this gift? I, I want to be a blessing. But why, think about this, why do you want to heal? Why does God want to heal? And in large part, it's because he wants to draw people to himself. It's not just to free someone from disease, you know, what's interesting as we come to times of prayer and someone comes and they says, can you pray for so-and-so? They're sick. The first thing I'll ask them is, do they know the Lord? Because the, the issue isn't that they're sick and they need healing. The issue is that they're spiritually dead and they need Christ. And that God might use the situation to bring them to the understanding that they need Jesus. They need Jesus more than they need healing. So the gifts of healings... Uh, multiple times through the Gospels, Jesus healed people, right? Uh, the centurion's daughter, uh, they went to the upper room and, and healed the, the little girl who, was, uh, who, had, who had just passed away. Think about um, Dorcas who had died in the book of Acts. Uh, Paul healing the man who fell out the window. How bad did he feel when he was preaching all night? And the dude was sitting in the window on the third floor and it got hot and he fell asleep and he fell out the window. Paul went down, laid himself on top of him and healed the man and brought him back to life. Gifts of healings given as God sees fit in the moment to bring life, to bring healing to people. And just a few more here. To another, the working of miracles, to another, prophecy, to another, discerning of spirits, to another, different kinds of tongues, to another, the interpretation of tongues. The working of miracles, that means dynamis or acts of power. So miracles, things that are supernatural. There's no explanation except God. When you think of Elijah and the prophets of Baal, and that amazing story, I think it's in 1 Kings 17. Whereas Elijah was there facing them, uh, he said, okay, you guys go first. You guys bring your sacrifice and let's see if your God shows up. And and what an amazing thing as they were there all day and nothing was happening and they were cutting themselves and they were cajoling and just doing all these crazy things. And then Elijah comes forward and he says okay, pour water on the altar. And they're like, dude, we're trying to make a fire. You don't want to pour water there. He's like, no, no, pour water on the fire, pour water on the altar rather, excuse me. And as they did that, he then prayed. He stood up and he lifted his hands and he says, God, you've spoken to me. And although he didn't say these words, you kind of read between the lines, unless I'm crazy and, you know, I I heard from you, you want to reveal yourself to these people. You want to put down the evil of their worship and the the worship of Baal. And you want to show yourself strong. God, would you come down right now? And God came down in a mighty fire that consumed everything. And it says the flames even licked up the water. And then God gave Elijah and the men with him the ability to kill the prophets of Baal. And what an amazing, mighty thing. You could say that was the gift of faith, but you could also say it was the gift of miracles. And again, how many times did Jesus work miracles? We could think, just read uh, the Gospels, and it's story after story after story where Jesus works miracles by the hand of God. Think about the apostles, the number of times they uh, went places, they walked into rooms and, and preached, and God threw them brought the gift of the holy spirit or he brought a gift of healing or or that kind of thing think about elijah when he went into the widow's home and she had nothing and he said keep filling up these vessels with oil and he did and she did and it was it was impossible it was impossible that you know one you know a gallon could fill more than a gallon's worth of oil but they kept pouring and the oil kept coming out god does these things he works miracles And these things are only explainable by looking at God. But remember, all these things point to Christ. All these things bring honor to God. All these things encourage the body. Prophecy, both predictive and foretelling. We're going to come back to this a little bit in chapter 14. That's why I didn't put a lot into this for uh, this morning. But in the Old Testament, prophecy was primarily predictive, saying what God would do and what was coming. And then uh, in the New Testament, it's both predictive and, and, and um, uh, I said foretelling. I also meant forthtelling, because there's a prophetic gift to be able to bring the word of truth in a given moment, like uh, being able to stand up and preach, not just the gift of teaching, but the gift of preaching in a given moment to bring the truth of God's word but also to bring a prophetic utterance. Remember in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 where the Holy Spirit says, do not despise prophetic utterances. Where God might bring a word, and think of it this way, that has a prophetic edge. When somebody says it, you're kind of like, I know that's true. And so prophecy always has truth at its core. So when prophecy is brought, think of a... Agabus, the prophet, when Paul was going to Jerusalem and he knew he was going to go into prison, and as he was going, Agabus came and he took Paul's belt and he tied his hands and he says, the man to whom this belt belongs is going to go into bondage when he gets to Jerusalem, and he will suffer many things. And Paul knew, as that man did that, and he did it in the presence of other witnesses, Paul knew, that was a word to him, it was a prophetic word of what was going to happen, As the Lord was leading him back to Jerusalem. And keep in mind, as we talked last week about the leading of the Spirit, Paul's like, I know God's calling me to go back to Jerusalem. I have to go. And now Agabus stands up and says, By the way, you're going to get arrested and they're going to put shackles on you. And he's like, Okay, thank you, Lord, for letting me know ahead of time what to expect. A prophetic word. Discerning of spirits. Uh, I'm going to come back to these a little bit later. Discerning of spirits and and tongues because there's a lot more to this, but I'm just hitting these because they were in the passage. Discerning of spirits. There are spirits that manifest themselves. There's the Holy Spirit. There's only one. Then there are spirits, plural, that are not holy. And think of uh, when Jesus encountered the demoniac, And they said, uh, who are you? And he said, we are legion, which meant thousands. And when Jesus cast a demon or he cast demons out, those were spirits. And, And remember, Paul later told us in 1 Corinthians, I think it could be in 2 Corinthians, where he said, Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Why is there a need for the gift of discerning spirits? Because there are some who pretend, like Ananias and Sapphira, to be of the Lord. There are false prophets. There are whole chapters in the Bible devoted to this, not just in the Old Testament, but in the New. 2 Thessalonians, 2 Timothy, 2 Peter, they're all devoted. John deals with this in his epistles. False prophets, people who come in to deceive. 1 John 4, 1, beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. God gives a gift to certain people to be able to see through, to see to the heart. Remember we shared last week as we were going through the leading of the Holy Spirit, as uh, the, the priest and the prophet Samuel went into the house of Jesse, and he's trying to find which one uh, God had chosen. And at first he looked at Eliab, uh, the, the tall, dark, handsome one, and he said, obviously, this is the guy. And the Lord said, no, no, no. The Lord looks at the heart. Man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. In the issue of discerning of spirits, God gives someone the unique ability to see through the facade and to see to the heart of the matter and to discern that that person has ill intents, has has wrong motives. And maybe they've showed up pretending to be someone claiming to have gifts of the Spirit and to be saved, and they're this superhuman Christian, and they're just amazing. They're God's gift to the church, and you're so lucky to have me. And then somebody says, no, I don't know, man. There's something going on here. We ought to be cautious about this person, a discerning of spirits. Then as we talk about tongues, and again, we're going to get into this later. We'll end here. But the ability to speak in a known language, unknown to the speaker, we've looked at this, and we certainly saw that on the day of Pentecost, That's what happened. The people stood up and they spoke in known languages to the people, but unknown to the speaker. But now we're we're being brought into a definition here in 1 Corinthians 12 and 14, where he says there's an additional manifestation of the gift of tongues, which many have today called a prayer language, or an ability basically to communicate directly with God, your spirit to God's spirit, And the ability to pray or to speak in an unknown tongue, and and again, I'm I'm delaying this because we'll get into it in chapter 14, but to speak to God directly in a spiritual language, to have intimate fellowship and communion with God. And then right after this, he couples this with the issue of the interpretation of tongues, the divine ability to interpret tongues or languages. So in the case of someone who is speaking in a known language but unknown to, to that person, The person who's hearing it probably would be given the interpretation because it's being given to them in their language. But for the person um, who is praying or, quote, speaking in a tongue, speaking in a spiritual language that's not a known human language, there has to be an interpretation given for that. And you see here, when we look at this humanly, we say, you know, I could take what you said, record it, put it into Google Translate and get the, the translation. But with the spiritual language, I can't. I have to trust that what's happening is of the Lord, that the Holy Spirit is moving, and that when someone speaks in this tongue, that if if an interpreter is not provided, Paul goes on to say, then it ends there. Because if God hasn't provided an interpreter, then you can go pray in your prayer closet all you want, but you don't bring that into the body because it's a point of confusion and it does not bring any edification. Again, we'll talk about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. So we're going to cut it off right there today. But remember, but one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. So sometimes God will give a gift to you or to an individual, and it's your gift for life, and he gives it to you, and he expects you to use it for his glory. And other times God will come upon us, with a gifting as needed so that we can use it for his glory and for the benefit of the the body of christ so we'll we'll continue to unfold this in the next couple of weeks and see where the lord wants to take it amen lord thank you this morning for what you've spoken to us and taught us thank you lord for your love thank you lord for your word thank you for caring about us enough to give gifts to men Thank you, Lord, that part of what you're telling us here is that we need to trust you. We need to depend upon you. So, Lord, we trust that in these days and weeks ahead that you'll make it plain to us the gifts that you have given to us severally, individually, as you have desired, and you'll show us the place or the places you have set for us and the, the function of the body of Christ, Uh, The body of Christ, Lord, of course, as we know, is not just this church. It's it's the greater, broader body of Christ. And may, may we, Lord, be used for your glory. May we understand these things, embrace them, and function in them as you so desire. Lord, you've given us these gifts not for our individual benefit, but for the benefit of the body, for the greater good. And may we understand, Lord, that's how we should use it, for your glory and for the good of others. Lord, we love you. We bless you. Speak to us and lead us this week. Go with us and remind us of that great truth, for I am with you always. I will never leave you or forsake you. In Jesus' name, amen.